If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. Uh, We're going to look, for our reading, we're going to read verses 7 through 10. Gospel of John, chapter 10. It's good to see each one of you with us today. As we said earlier, we do have several who are on a marriage retreat. Um, most of them did not make it back in time for church. We hope they're enjoying themselves. We need to invest in family, don't we? We need to invest in marriages. And uh, if you are married, you need to invest in your marriage. Um, if the church doesn't advocate that, no one else will. The church should always encourage healthy marriages. As you're turning there to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, there was a small metal door painted white on the side of a tiny mission church in Johannesburg, South Africa. This door is changing lives. Painted on the door are the words, Door of Hope. And that's exactly what this door is for various babies within the city of Johannesburg. An average of some 40 to 50 babies each month were being abandoned on the streets to die of exposure or starvation. That was before this mission installed their door to a baby bin, allowing mothers to anonymously deposit their unwanted babies and have someone love them and care for them. Now, this mission is saving over 100 babies a year. What an incredible door that was open to them. But you know, there is an even more incredible door that's been opened to unwanted, to save lives, and to bring hope to many, and that's the door of Jesus. He is the door. Look with me in today's text. The Bible tells us in in chapter 10 in John's gospel, in verses 7 through 10, it says, And Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are not, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Now, God, we pray that you would minister to us in these next few moments, God, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to see your revelation of what it is and how we are to respond as true disciples when this world closes a door upon us. Help us, God. Help us, God, to represent you in a mighty and a powerful way, in a way which brings glory to you and magnifies your Son. So now, God, for the remainder of this service, may the 
words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, again, as we are in this series, Disciples Making Disciples, we are still identifying disciples. What makes disciples? For the past two weeks, we found or we focused on identifying true disciples. We shared that true disciples mature in their walk with Christ. No longer trying to fill their hunger with the things of this world. Instead, they hunger after Christ. Recognizing that he is the bread of life. Last week, we shared that, that true disciples recognize that what it is to walk in the light of Christ, allowing his light to permeate through our lives. Today, we want to continue on this trend of identifying true disciples. True disciples recognize that Jesus is the door to eternal life. The backdrop of today's text is actually found in chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus passed by a man who was blind from birth. Seeing this man, Jesus' disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus responded to them by saying, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. We see that there in verses 2 and 3 in chapter 9. Jesus then he proceeded to spit on the ground, form clay, place it upon the eyes of the blind man. He then tells the man to go wash his face in the pool of Siloam. When he had washed his eyes, he came back able to see. Now, there were people who were amazed at this, but they were also skeptical. Some were denying that this, was, that this man was actually blind. Some were saying he just looked like the man who was blind. Uh, when, when the man told the people how he had actually gained his sight and what, by what Jesus had done, they brought this man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees rejected that Jesus was from God. Because Jesus performed the miracle on the Sabbath. <laughs> but others question. They question how he could be sent from God and do such things that he'd done. The Pharisees had a man's parents, had this man's parents brought to them to question them, how, wanting to see how was it that now their son could see if he was actually born blind. And the parents, out of fear of being excommunicated from the synagogue, they reminded the Pharisees that this man is of age. Go ask him. He can explain what's, when, what's happened in his life. So they questioned the man again. And they instructed him to glorify God and acknowledge Jesus to be a sinner. 
This man who was blind from birth, he says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. The Pharisees were so relentless in their pursuit to disprove Jesus, they cast the man out of the synagogue. What about that? They cast the man out of the synagogue. They closed the door of the synagogue to this man who had previously been blind. This man had just received a miracle that no one could deny. Think about it in the day in which this man lived. He had been a beggar his entire adult life. He, but now he can become productive. He was no longer looked at as an outcast in society. Now he could be productive. He was no longer having to depend on someone to lead him around. But the religious leaders saw a problem. And the problem was he was healed on the Sabbath by a man named Jesus. And they closed the door of the synagogue to him. I imagine many of us have had doors closed to us. One or two or more have been closed to us from time to time. Maybe it was a door of a relationship where you thought that this boy or girl, this man or woman was the person that you were going to live out your life with. Maybe it was the door of an educational opportunity where you thought that this would be the key to expanding your career. Maybe it was a door of employment opportunity where you thought that this was going to help set your family on a course of financial freedom. Or maybe it was a door to ministry where you thought this is where you would use your gifts and your abilities to serve the Lord. The real question is, has, is not, has this happened to you? The real question is, what was your response when this did happen to you? When a door was closed to you, how did you respond to that door being closed? Now let me ask, how would a true disciple Respond to that door being closed to him or her. When we face doors being closed to us, there's a couple ways this text helps us to see that we could respond. First, we can respond with self-preservation. What I mean is we can try and defend ourselves. We can try to make ourselves look good. When these doors close to us, we can try to make excuses. Now, when we look here, this blind man had the door of the synagogue shut to him. In verse 35, we find Jesus went looking for him. And Jesus found him. In verse 35 in chapter 9, what we must take note of is that this door has been shut to this man, but he didn't try to blame anyone. He didn't try to retreat And denied um, that Jesus was the one who had healed him. He didn't try to bargain with the religious leaders to gain access to the synagogue. In other words, when the door was shut, he just went on his way. And he came looking. And Jesus came looking for him. This is in, in contrast to what we find a few chapters prior. 
Over in chapter 5, we find a completely different response. It was during the feast of the Jews. Jesus encountered a man who had been ill for 38 years. Lying in the pool, that lying near the pool called Bethesda, Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be well. The man said, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So to understand this, what would take place is certain times, at certain times, they believed that, the, that an angel of God came and stirred the waters and someone sick that was near the pool, if they could get to the water first, that first person would be healed. And here this man, lame, for 38 years, never could get to the water before someone else. But you know, truth is, Jesus didn't ask for an explanation. He asked the man if he wanted to be well. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, to me, that's a yes or no question. I mean, that's flat. That's a yes or no question. This question doesn't call for an explanation. He just said, do you want to be well? Yes or no? But this man, he gives an explanation. And what I see in this explanation is it seems that this man has an excuse for everything that happened to him in life. You've met people like that, haven't you? That every time something goes wrong, there's a reason. Has nothing to do with them. Has nothing to do with God's sovereignty. It's, it, they've got a reason. But Jesus looks beyond this man's excuses. And he tells him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man became well. After this man was healed, Jesus had slipped away, and the man had no idea who had healed him until later. It seemed like word went out, and word went out that it was Jesus that actually healed this man. And, and it seems to me that, that sometime between this man being healed and Jesus coming and finding this man again, this man had a conversation with some of the religious leaders. It appears that he had worked out something to where he could continue to have access to the synagogue. Why do I say that? Because not only was the... that After... After some time, Jesus found this man in the temple. And, and the man, when Jesus spoke, the man recognized Jesus. And he went to tell the Jews that Jesus was the one who made him well. And, Je- and the Jews sought to persecute Jesus for healing the man on the Sabbath. This man was healed. And instead of worshiping Jesus, he went and tattled on Jesus. He went and reported on Jesus. He was more concerned with his own standing with the Jews than worshiping the one who opened the door for him to have a healthy life. And I wonder when doors have been closed to us, how do we respond? Do we respond like the man in the text who was blind from birth or do we respond like the man by the pool of Bethesda? Do we respond as a disciple of Christ or do we respond as an immature newborn believer? Um, What I'm asking is when doors are shut to us, Do we always have an excuse to why those doors have been closed? When doors of 
employment opportunity close to us is our very first reaction to throw the race card. Now I know where I'm at and I'm wondering how many of us, the very first thing we want to say is, well, they don't want to hire a Native American or they don't want to hire an African American or because of affirmative action, I just couldn't get the job. They had to hire some minority. What is our response when those doors are closed to us? What about an educational opportunity? When those doors are closed, is our first reaction to blame our school system, to blame our teachers, to blame our family's financial standing? That's why I couldn't get into that school. My parents couldn't afford it. That's why I couldn't get into school. I didn't get the education I needed in high school. When relationship opportunities seem to flounder and they're just shut in our faces, are we quick to blame where we come from? who our parents are, or even our race. Well, they, I couldn't date them because I'm Native and they're Caucasian. I couldn't date them because they're African-American and I'm Native. I, I couldn't date them because of who their family was. Their family come from the wrong side of the tracks. I couldn't date them or I, I could have a relationship with them because of, of, of who I, where I came from. When doors of ministry opportunities close, the ministry that we wanted. Because I'm, I, I mean, I, I may be off in some people's thinking. I think I'm right, though. You have a right to be wrong. <laughs> I really don't think we get to choose the ministry that we're in. I'd have never chose this. I'd have chose this. God chooses it for us. So how do we respond when doors of opportunity close? I've seen it from the pulpit all the way down to a a church member. Have a pity party. I didn't get what I wanted. The church was ready for a change. They're ready to vote me out. They want someone younger or they want someone different. Have a pity party and leave or threaten to leave. You know, I take my money elsewhere. Or I put my money somewhere else. I won't pay my tithes. I pay it somewhere else. Because I didn't get my way. You know, each time we make an excuse for why we don't get what we wanted, we're acting entitled. The only thing that we're entitled to is living in this cold, dark world. That is the only thing we're entitled to. Oh, listen, if some of you, your mom and dad has a little something and they've got wheels, you're not entitled to a dime that they've got. If you get anything and you want to argue over it, go ahead. You don't deserve anything if you want to argue over whatever they decide to do with what they've earned. Oh, but I'm their child. I deserve at least what anybody, everybody. No, you don't deserve nothing. Nothing. You're not entitled to anything but living in a cruel world. The Bible tells us it rains on the just and the unjust. Matthew 5 and 45 says, so that, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. He causes his son, his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and the 
unrighteous. You know why the Bible says he does this? So that you prove who you belong to. Because if we're wanting to have a pity party, if we're wanting to make up an excuse, if we're wanting to say say why something had this happened to me or, or where it's, woe is me, I don't know why I didn't get my way, then you don't belong to him. According to what Matthew says. Living in this sin-cursed world, life is not going to always be be easy. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be discouragement. Sadly, there's going to be tragedy and there's going to be failures. And there are going to be times in our lives when we're outside and we're looking in and we're going to feel like we're getting a raw deal. But true disciples of Jesus Christ will trust God's word. Just like when he told Jeremiah to tell Israel, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. You might look and think that doors of opportunity keep shutting for me. It just might be that God's protecting you. So we have the choice. We can choose to respond to doors being closed with self-preservation, focusing on me. Or we can choose to respond with integrity. Jesus says in verse 7 of chapter 10, truly, truly, when he says truly, truly, what he is doing here is He's being emphatic. He's telling us, pay attention. He says, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Again, the door of the synagogue was shut to this man. And Jesus asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man responds with, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus shares, he is speaking with you are speaking with the son of man and the man responds i believe lord and the bible says he worshiped jesus notice the man's initial call he initially calls jesus sir this is a typical response to a stranger However, once this man became aware of who Jesus is and that he is in fact who healed him, remember, this man was blind. He couldn't see. And now he sees Jesus. And he knows this is the man who healed him. And he calls Jesus Lord. This man had a life-transforming experience, and now he is confessing Jesus Christ as his Lord. So let me say it this way. This man, all his life, he had been blind, and now he can see. Now he can look upon his parents. Now he can get a job. Now he can see the sun rise and the sun set. Now he can see the moon and the stars. Now he can see the beauty of God's creation. Now he is no longer looked upon as a beggar. He owes all that he has to Jesus. Jesus, so he submits himself as a servant to Jesus. Jesus is his Lord. And Jesus proceeds in the first six verses of chapter 10 to explain about the door of the sheepfold. Now, the sheepfold was a place where several shepherds would take their sheep during the night for security. Now, get this. 
several shepherds would take their sheep and they'd gather all those sheep in one sheepfold. This sheepfold would likely have been a circular or square enclosure, probably constructed like a high stone wall or fence. And perhaps it was topped with vines all around it. The entrance would be the only break in this wall or this enclosure. And once the sheep were safely in, a watchman or guard would sit there at the entrance. And it was probably one of the shepherds or a servant to one of the shepherds. And they would lie there across this opening and they would serve as both a protector of the sheep and as a gate into the sheepfold. Unless an intruder was willing to confront the watchman, the only way he could get to the sheepfold was to climb this wall. That's why Jesus said to one who does not enter by the door of the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. If he doesn't come by the door, he's up to no good. Listen, someone's coming to your house and they're not willing to come to the door. They're up to no good. As a matter of fact, you might want to check who comes to your door because they may be up to no good. Access for the shepherd was another thing. He could, the shepherd could enter into the sheepfold through the opening to check on the sheep anytime he wanted because he knew both the watchman and he knew the sheep. In the mornings, the shepherd would enter and they'd lead their sheep out. The shepherds, whether it was two, three, four, five, ever how many had his own group of sheep, his own flock, they would enter in and the sheep would separate and they would follow their shepherd because they knew his voice and a stranger they would not follow. This indicates there was an intimate relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, he's saying he knows who to let in and who to keep out. He knows when to open the door and when to close the door. He knows how to protect his sheep. And I'm a firm believer that God knows me best. He knows me better than I know myself. And he knows you best. He knows you better than you know yourself. And as true disciples, we will understand Revelation 3 and 7 through 8 when he says that, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no man can shut because you have a little power and I have followed my word and have not denied my name. Or you have followed my word and not denied my name. What Jesus is saying here is that I can open doors that no one else can shut and I can shut doors no one can open. So it does us no good when doors have been shut in our face to try to beat that door down. Because if God has shut it, You can't open it. Folks, no matter what door seems to be closing in your face, whether it is a door of relationships or educational opportunities, 
or employment opportunities or ministry opportunities. If they're closing, thank God and praise God that he has protected you from what you can't see ahead. When the doors close, there's no need to get bitter. Instead, we get better. Trust that Jesus is, has a better door awaiting for you. He knows that job will take you away from your family. He knows that job will take you away from involvement in the church. He knows that negative influence some educational institutions will have on you. He knows the relationships that will prove to be toxic and unhealthy. He knows the ministry opportunities that will result in you and I becoming prideful. So he closes the doors for our own good. Romans 8 and 28 says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So when doors of opportunity are opening up to us, it's then we can boldly walk through them and know that he is walking with us. You know, I was told... I was told when I took, when I by faith followed Jesus and come here. You see, I had been offered a job I'd been trying to get for five years. A job I would have retired well off with. A job I'd have made twice what I'll make this coming year, five years ago. And I walked away from it trusting Jesus. And he has been with me every step of the way. When I, told, when I gave my notice, one of the guys said to me, what are you going to do in six months when that church has told you to hit the road? I said, I'll walk through the next door God has. Nineteen years later, here we are. Y'all, here we are. Y'all know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow's the 19th, ain't it? 19 years ago, you voted. 19 years ago, I accepted coming here as your pastor. You know, I, I didn't understand everything. And I had anxiety about it. Because I'm coming to a church in a location that's not booming. You don't see houses going up everywhere. You don't see town expanding. You don't see rolling expanding either. And I wonder just how long would I actually be here? A few years? But God has walked with me every step of the way. Some of you remember this. The 24th of the very next year, my dad went to be with the Lord. But while he was sick and at home, it was you who said, go and be with him. We'll be all right till you're able to be back here. For a month, you allowed me to spend time with my dad while he was dying and help my mom take care of him and my sister. For a month, you gave me that. God was with us. A year and a half later, Taylor was in the hospital for a month. 
And when I said, I'll go home when she goes home, you said, it's okay, we'll be here when you get here. God did that because he was with us. I never wanted to further my education. But God saw me through a master's program. I couldn't have got into if I hadn't have been here. (laughs) And now in this program I'm in, now only because he is here with us. Listen, when I tell you that if you trust him, because he, he will be with you, you can believe I know this by experience. I'm not just read this somewhere and, and just believed it. I read it, I believed it, and I've lived it. If you'll trust him, he'll be with you every step of the way. When he opens the door for you, walk through it boldly and just know he's walking with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Right now, the door of salvation, the door to an abundant life, it's open to somebody today. Someone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, someone who's far from God, Right now, the door to an intimate relationship with God is open to you. How do I know this? Because Jesus, he left the splendor of heaven and he come to this sin-cursed world. And being God, he put on a robe of flesh and lived as a man. He did what you and I failed to do. He submitted himself to the Father's will. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he lived a sinless life. And he was able to be and to become the the all-sufficient sacrifice for the sin of the world. He died for your sin. And on the third day, he arose for your victory. And today, you are here. And the door of salvation is open to you. You're not here by accident. You're here by a divine appointment. He was opening a door today for you. So will you trust Jesus and enter into this door repenting of your sin and confessing Jesus as your Savior and submitting your life to him, making him your Lord. As the choir begins to sing this song, Are you ready now to walk through this door of opportunity? A door that will lead you to salvation.